0: every region or every kind of individual department at Puma had their own e-commerce implementation and backend. And so some people were using Salesforce Commerce Cloud and some people were using Magento and some people were using whatever else. Is that right? Exactly. Wow. That seems like a lot of complexity. How how many different systems were running when you joined Puma? Do you know? (laughs) I can't do the
1: permutation in my head anymore, but it was... uh, So when I started, there were seven different regions, but then at the country level, Europe, for example, would be one. So then you have twenty some countries. It kind of depends on the year which ones are United Kingdom, which ones are Europe, <laughs> and um, and then Ukraine floating. So it's uh, it's always shifting, which is one extra layer onto this puzzle. Mm. So now you finally settle it, You're like okay, well we we've, we've got Europe handled, and then they're like, well actually we don't because. Now, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and England are no longer part of Europe. So just carve out that part and put that over here and tell all of the systems, only in that case, do you get the information from over here. Now, completely different catalog, different pricing, different employees, move their offices. So those are the types of things that the response from the technology teams is like, yes, we can do it. When do you need this done? Like, well how fast can you get it done? And that was always the question. So then you end up with this unplanned work. You know, Brexit, everyone knew it was coming for a long time, but you still have to do it. And then there's dependency on others. And the ERP systems are always the slowest process in any organization I talk to. They're always, if we've got an ERP implementation, it's two years late, the people working on it are tired, the changes are constant. everyone else depends on that data and so there's this layered dependency problem and these are the types of issues that again if if it's domestic if it's more simplified you can solve them in a lot of different ways or different places in the stack but if you really are trying to centralize some core data stores and make that interface consistent across the world you have to wait like it doesn't help you to set up a different ERP because it would be faster. Now you completely ruined the concept of ERP. And that doesn't help you in the long run either. So it's a it's a constant trading and juggling. And where GraphQL kind of can come in and solve some of that so that you don't have to delay some of the innovative changes that you're needing that the business is requiring to stay relevant, but you do actually require a different skill set from the development team that you probably have. Either they need to level up or you actually need some different people. And that was one of the challenges that we faced.
0: What was Puma's kind of engineering organization or technological organization like when you joined? And how did that change over the years of you being there?
1: It's been external development the whole time. So using oh, wow. you know, SI, system integrators, and they would be usually selected based on their experience level with that the major elements of the technology in that country. So then focused heavily around NARCA, Salesforce, and Magento, and then that ecosystem of partners around those as the core shopping technology. And then so then as you layer your architectural diagram, ERP, PIM, some digital asset management being at, at kind of the bottom layer for us is central and core to Puma, Then on top of that, you'd be looking at how are you going to bring in order management and warehouse management as very localized implementations, but needs to feed and come back together in another layer. So then this is where people are putting in an enterprise service bus or some middleware that aggregates these systems that otherwise there just would never be time to make them talk to each other. That is imported into that e-commerce tool, which is... We kind of selected based on the best investment choice at the time. And then our job is to take whatever's there and piece together a digital business that can keep running and be quick enough and competitive enough. And So then the, the next stage was make sure this whole investment is still valuable. And in order to actually unlock the next, I guess, opportunity as far as business growth and brand value, you need to be able to iterate quickly on the front end. And that was where we were falling down, at least in my opinion. We were able to make all the changes at the bottom layer fast enough. It was the front end changes, which is really where conversion rate and some of the other pieces that people are always wanting get handled. And so then if it's a speed issue, a lot of times the underlying APIs just cannot be faster or they can't be Stable enough for the traffic we were hitting, so then we started trying to figure out how could we separate the front end from the back end, which isn't an uncommon goal. People have tried doing headless for a long time. You had the the presentation layer separated from logic, and so these concepts with the reference architecture were already used at Puma. It was basically just extending that even further, and with the concept of bringing in mobile shopping app, which we didn't have, was required. So there was just a good opportunity as all of these stars were aligning that we should try something a little bit bigger and dip our toe into
0: GraphQL. So maybe before we dive into the GraphQL part, maybe can you give us an idea of the scale that Puma operates at? Like, I mean, I assume everybody listening knows what Puma is, it's an international brand that's very widely known, but at, at what kind of scale do you operate in terms of these systems, right? How many products are we talking about? How many orders are we talking about? Like what's the order of magnitude of scale that Puma has. There's not many companies on the planet at that level of scale. If you think about everybody knows Puma, right? How many brands in the world exist that everybody knows, right? There's a very limited number of those. And so the scale, I'm sure, must be insane.
1: The scale is definitely big. So the company does over 8 billion euro in in turnover a year. You can read through annual reports what e-com is producing. But the the traffic that we're talking about would be hundreds of millions and it takes a lot to serve that kind of load and especially when it comes unexpectedly and that's where things get really interesting so it becomes even though the numbers are high handling regular traffic just modern cloud infrastructure can handle it it's not really a problem what you run into is services that are charged at a, a fee either per visit or session or just API call. And that a lot of that data doesn't need to be Fetch from the origin source every time, but it just is. A developer made a decision when they implemented it to allow that to happen. So that was more of a financial issue that comes with the scale. And then the other one where it's actually just being overwhelmed is usually because of a very popular product or a ambassador, celebrity ambassador relationship. So if something cool is released, a shoe or a shirt or something, then you've got a problem. And especially if you didn't know it was going to be hot. So that happens occasionally. It's a good problem to have, but it's a horrible problem if you're in the e-commerce digital side. <laughs> and uh, and that is usually when all of a sudden the sky is falling, everybody's outraged. You can't figure out how this happened. And those are the times that you have to dig out. But that's also some of the excitement of doing this work. And so you'll see, though, it's, it's when traffic spikes to, I would say, in general, 10,000 plus concurrent shoppers, like not just people on the sites but people trying to add to cart creating baskets those are the computationally heavy transactional processes inside of the store system where you start reaching the limits of what that system can handle so there's all these different strategies for trying to have a queuing of some sort or invite people in waves but adding any of those workarounds further complicates all the processes so you can't just jump to that i could if it was just dylan's hat shop.com <laughs> I try something different but when it has to work in all these places and fraud has to be there like all the things need to work you just you end up just having to find ways to handle more and more traffic and unfortunately we found you which helped us out of a jam so thank you
0: you're welcome we am so glad to hear that <laughs> and so Maybe let's talk about kind of the the technology of Puma as it evolved over time. You're mentioning kind of the, the base bedrock of the ERP system, the pin, the, the dam. All of that was kind of set in stone, and really, what was missing was the innovation on the levels higher up, closer to the end customer. That just where the innovation wasn't quite there, and the technological advancement wasn't quite there. How did you transform Puma's technology on that front? And in particular, I'm I'm curious, how did you convince the organization? to do that, right? Because I think often technology is... There's a certain element to our love for technology that makes it such that people sometimes do tech for doing tech sake, if you know what I mean, right? It's like, yeah. you're doing something because it's cool, because it's novel, because you think it's interesting and you want to try it out, right? But how do you make decisions for such a large corporation and make sure that you're not just doing tech for tech's sake, but tech for business's sake and really moving Puma itself forward in the right way?
1: Good question in general. How to get the the buy-in from senior leadership was being able to very clearly articulate where we were struggling. And so the yeah tech for tech's sake is always the risk of people in technology and also technology projects in general are the most expensive, like most overrun, least likely to succeed types of projects. And I just read a book that was recommended to me. I think it's How Big Things Get Done. Let me check on that real quick. Yeah, How Big Things Get Done. This is absolutely worth a read for anybody that's tackling things like this. What was very interesting is that technology projects were on the same level of nuclear site cleanups. That for whatever reason, we as technologists and the organizations surrounding us are just pretty much incapable of doing what we promised. And we're always messing things up. But a few theories of why that's possible, but for now you can start with this research and see that absolutely that's a problem. So the tech for tech I think is, is contributing to it, but there's a few other items. And I think what some of it is that it's so easy to get started and there are so few specifications, requirements, there's not a, an ISO standard for how to make a website. So there, there isn't anything that says this is the right way to do it. And that's where the mock alliance comes in, which I'm an ambassador and board member at the mock alliance who are trying to create some standards so that there is some guardrail for here's a way to run enterprise software without getting yourself into so much issues that can't be resolved or that you wouldn't be able to handle when someone comes at you. So now thinking back to what, you asked how did I basically get the approval from Puma. What I had identified through the previous four years of of solving these problems was that we were spending an incredible amount of time on the front end changes, but we weren't basically we just weren't getting the results that we wanted. There was one project in particular, which was redesigning an area of the site and it took us 18 months. And I I just couldn't even believe it and but that's what it did and so a huge part of it when it looked back was just internal agreement that we could make the change so okay it's it's got a design change in nature that involves a lot of stakeholders nobody's really got the authority to just make the decision so that's going to slow things down so once we had approval then development starts development still six months before it was actually built and released wow, you could actually stand up a whole new site in that time, let alone change a couple of pages. So that that was what was happening. And I would say maybe 80% of the work would be front end in nature, whereas that before had been 80% of the work was back end in nature when I was starting. Because the back end got sorted, there wasn't as much to do there. And not that anybody patted us on the back, they just stopped complaining about those issues because (laughs) they were resolved. So now we were moving into almost all front end changes because they were finally able to to address those concerns, which is a good thing. So that's that's improvement, that's evolution. Okay, front end's taking a long time. Hey, you want to also have an app. The app's gonna rely on the same information that the front end's using, but right now all the changes that we're talking about, you're kind of combining logic with that front end development. So we need to separate where that is coming from so that the app could be fed. From the same source and in addition we were looking at speed so then the change that 18 months that speed in terms of delivering ux and ui delivering that at all then we looked at how fast is the website once it's running and there was a study called milliseconds make millions by google and one of the consulting companies and um we feel like we've been lied to because once we started shaving milliseconds, we actually did not see the increase in sales and conversion. So what, what we had promised for speed improvements, even when speed was delivered, did not translate to more sales. Really? So that one was an unfortunate big learning for me in my career, was that I think in many cases it can help, but in general, page load First page low, because that's usually what's being measured, it didn't really make any difference whether it was fast or slow. I'm sure if it's horribly slow, you can tell. But if you're already in the three to four second range, improvement from from there, at least for a, a brand site like this, did not seem to make an impact. And that, for me, was really important. I think if I was at Amazon.com, it's probably different because people are going there for the transaction. If you're going to a brand site, you're going there for the brand and you're not necessarily in a hurry at that point. And most of the transactions aren't happening on that first session. I think it was something like an average of eight Mm. marketing touch points before a conversion of a sale is created. So you, you don't even need to close them then. And then if they've already come to the site, next time they come back, it'll be way faster. So, this measurement issue became an issue after we got the buy-in. So your question was, how, to, how do you get approval? Basically identifying that here are the things that are slowing us down. And this is the the types and the volume of requests we're getting from the business team saying, we want to improve the front end. However you phrase the, the request is like, well, this is front end. That's also front end. That's front end. That's front end. That's front end. That's front end. And the developers and the people that we have are integrations people. They're platform management. They're not front-end specialists. They're not writing open source CSS frameworks. They are writing XML integrations to an ecosystem of back-end services. And trying to turn them into front-end people in a matter of weeks just isn't easy.